It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. And when I look at what happened on January 6th, it appears that uh, right-wing white supremacist groups played an instrumental role in the violent assault. Is that your conclusion also? Well, uh, let me answer that this way. I think we're basically saying the same thing. I mean, we don't tend to think, we at the FBI, don't tend to think of violent extremism in terms of right, left. You know, that's not a, a, a spectrum that we look at. What I would say is that it is clear, as I think I said to Chairman Durbin, that uh, a, a large and growing number of the people that we have arrested so far in, the, uh, in connection with the 6th are what we would call militia violent extremism, uh, militia violent extremists, and then there have been some uh, already that have emerged who I would have put in the racially motivated violent extremist bucket, again, advocating for the spirit of the white race. And I understand from your testimony previously that uh, you did not see Antifa or left-wing groups playing a significant role in the January 6th insurrection. Certainly, we're, while we're equal opportunity and looking for uh, violent extremism of any, uh, of any ideology, uh, we have not to date seen any evidence of, uh, of anarchist violent extremists or, or people subscribing to Antifa uh, in connection with the sixth, that doesn't mean we're not looking, and we'll continue to look. But it's, at the moment, we have not seen that. That was Senator Pat Leahy, along with the, your current FBI Director Christopher Ray, in a testimony last week before the Senate. We've talked about that, and we've talked about it almost daily because I know many of you are listening. We're at the Capitol, uh, at the grounds, listening to the president on January the sixth, and as I've said many times before. Were it not for some health problems here, we would. my husband and I would have been right there with you. Uh, I know I'm talking to people who love this country and uh, believe that the election was, uh, was fraudulent in many areas of the country, not every area, but in some key states. There was fraud. Uh, there was chicanery. There was all kinds of stuff. And uh, because you believe that, many of you went to the Capitol to support the president, and many of you still believe that. And so now... We are dealing with this narrative that what you believe is a big lie. And then we're dealing further with the fact that they are coming after uh, many of us, uh, the meaning who? The Justice Department, uh, the FBI. I read you this very concerning story of this Bruno Joseph Kua and his family. He's 18 years old, uh, and he was uh, went with his mom and dad. Uh, to support President Trump. And because of his uh, face or his posts on parlor, He's been arrested. He's been in jail for the last three months uh, for what the FBI, his thoughts, that he believes that uh, Joe Biden didn't really win the election. His parents believed it, too. They have been so hard on the entire family that they, the family, the mother said uh, in one of the transcripts, we are completely 
broken. And so that's what's happening to people that attended on that January 6th. And the title of uh, people who did that are, well, let's see, right-wing violent extremists, according to Pat Leahy, uh, uh, domestic violent extremism, according to the FBI. Well, I've asked Cleta Mitchell to join us today. Cleta is uh, the gold standard, really, for defenders of conservative causes and has been for so many years in Washington, D.C., among conservatives. She is a, she is a rock star. Uh, and she's had decades, decades of experience defending organizations like the National Rifle Association before the Supreme Court. She defended the Tea Party when the IRS came after them. Uh, and she has been selected for inclusion in the Washington, D.C. super lawyers list. There are so many things I could say about Cleta because her resume is very long. But I've asked her to join us today to comment on what's happening with the FBI, the Justice Department, uh, and what may be coming your way. Sandy Rios, this is Cleta Mitchell. Cleta, thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you, Sandy. It's such an honor to be with you. Cleta, as uh, you watch the, uh, Director Ray's testimony and you heard his words, what things stood out to you? Well, the thing that I find so amazing is that we watched, as Americans, we watched Antifa and those rioters starting uh, last May, uh, burning cities, looting, destroying businesses, stealing, breaking into windows of stores, uh, and stealing goods and merchandise. And, and do we hear any conversation at all about them? No, we do not. But we... Uh, and. I mean, that's shocking to me, but it is the truth. And then now, let, me, see... let, me, let me jump in just a second. I'm going to give a practical uh, st- Actually, I was going to grab this story, but I can remember. Uh, just this week in Portland, Antifa mm-hmm. broke into a public school facility where the buses were uh, housed and also the, like the trucks that bring the food for the kids. Uh, they burned down two of the vehicles and destroyed property. Uh, because they didn't want school. They didn't want kids to go back to school. And it hasn't—I haven't seen it anywhere, Cleta. I know that because of my contacts, I got the story. So the, I just wanted to prove your point. They're not talking about yeah, anything happening out there. And where's, where's Christopher Ray and, and speaking up about that, Tell. Well, but, they're arresting—you know, well, he's busy arresting the Bruno Joseph Kua 18-year-olds and uh, not letting them have bail. But go ahead and fin- please finish your thought. Well, no, it's all, it's all part of the same. You know, look, none of us condone any of the violence that happened on January the 6th, but I also have seen the video of um, the Capitol Police opening the doors to the Capitol and letting people into the Capitol without going through the magnometer, without checking IDs. I mean, I've, you and I have both been in and out of the U.S. Capitol many times over many years. And someone had asked me, how do people get any kind of weapons or anything inside the Capitol? I said, I have no idea, because you always have to take everything out of your pockets. And, well, that was before I saw the video of the doors being opened. And I, I, I you know, look, I mean, there were, maybe there were people, somebody says that there were people climbing through windows. I don't know about that. But I do know that I've seen the video of the Capitol Police opening the doors at one entry point in the Capitol. And I don't know actually how you could ever prosecute 
uh, someone for trespassing if they just show that video. Uh, who knows? But I, I think that, look, I mean, what we have is a situation where, you know, look, we all say that the response reaction to COVID is at least partially due to the fact that um, the media is all in New York. And so it, we, we all have to suffer because of whatever um, happens in New York or L.A. or Washington. And I think that part of what's going on here is you have a situation where my understanding is, and I'm not an expert on what happened on the 6th, but I am aware that uh, Pelosi blocked any, rejected any notion of having additional security for the Capitol on that day. I also know that uh, there were mil- you know, many, many, many hundreds of people who were there who didn't go to the Capitol at all, um, who have been subjected to uh, interrogation and uh, harassment. I know of a young woman in North Carolina who helped organize two buses of people who took people to the cap uh, to the uh, rally, and then they got on the buses and came back. But it's taken two months. Uh, for them to finally tell her that she's, quote, cleared, cleared. Um, but, look, I mean, I, I think that we have to be aware that the deep state really does exist, and it exists within, the, uh, within law enforcement. I wish, that I, I wish that didn't happen to be true, but I think it's because of the political nature of the FBI being completely politicized. And, you know, I think people... I think people are right to be aware, and I will tell you, Sandy, that one of the things that I've always said to any group that I could ever talk to on this topic, that people need to be aware that if an FBI or any government agent, federal investigator, comes to your door, whether it's your home or your office, do not speak to that investigator without a lawyer. I mean, just, and many times the FBI will show up, there are always two of them. Uh, and one of you, uh, and, and if they come, and many times they come at night, nine o'clock at night. I've heard this many times where they show up, knock on somebody's door, nine o'clock at night, saying hi, we're from the FBI. That's a little unnerving to someone. And your first thought is, oh, I've done nothing wrong. I have nothing to hide. Sure, come on in. No, be very polite at all times. Ask for their business cards and tell them you will have your attorney call them tomorrow. If you don't have an attorney, you should say, I will have to uh, retain counsel, and then my lawyer will call you. But do not, don't get involved in a conversation with any federal investigators ever without an attorney. Just want you to think about Martha Stewart and Michael Flynn and Scooter Libby. These are all people who spoke to the FBI. They had thought they had nothing to hide. Why not just talk to them? and were later accused of making a false statement to the FBI. So that is a federal offense. It is a federal crime to make a false statement to any federal investigator. So the best protection is for you not to speak to uh, investigators from the federal government or probably the state government, but I know there's a federal law that says if you make a false statement, you can prosecute for that, and that's what they did to Michael Flynn. They did it to Martha Stewart. They did it to Spirit Libby. I can go on down the list, but... People just shouldn't ever talk to the FBI or any federal investigator directly without a lawyer present. You know, Cleta, my husband, as you may remember, is a former FBI agent, and he is astounded, uh, well, astounded is one word, one way to put it, 
Uh, he said they would they never used to ever prosecute, actually prosecute someone for this so-called crime of lying to the FBI, that that was, look, you're not supposed to lie to the FBI, could be part of the case against you, but to bring a case solely on that, but this is, seems to be the new modus operandi, which makes it very dangerous, because as you have described, it's their word against yours. If you say, I didn't say it, that's not what I meant, it doesn't, if they said that you said it, then you're you're in trouble, and so that's why I'm glad you're you're telling my audiences, because many of them were there, and uh, they went with every good intention. I don't know, maybe some didn't. I would imagine 99.9% of my audience went with a very good intention. Uh, so um, I want to get your your take on this. This is a part of this article about this kid, Bruno Joseph Kua, who is 18, and he's been in jail ever since the middle of February. They won't let him out. Uh, he went there with his mom and dad. He's homeschooled. Uh, he's been described by his teachers and by the, the people in the town as just a really good kid who loves his country. Uh, I think uh, it's also been described that his social media, he you know beats his chest and says a lot of things. Uh, and um, so they're so that's the, they've charged him. I forgot what they've charged him with. Oh, a weapons one charge. One is trespassing. One is a weapons charge, and one is trespassing. And the weapons w- weapon was a small baton he took with him to D.C. All right, but I want to read to you the exchange that is in this article between him and the federal investigators and get your take as an attorney on what how this sounds to you. This is a detention hearing on February the 12th, and they're talking actually uh, to uh, Bruno's father. Uh, all right, so they basically say to him, you recognize that the, the, it's not true that the, the election was uh, was not fair, and he says, yes, I do. But do you recognize that you participated in that activity with your son? Do you share in the responsibility and your son's belief in his actions? Cleta, there's the music. I don't think I have time for your response. I think I know what it would be. They're asking about trying to prosecute someone on their attitudes and beliefs, and that's unheard of in, in law. Is it not? We're not there, are we yet? Can you have a 30-second answer? We. It is very frightening, but there are good. We say the media and all, they think that we should be deprogrammed. Katie Kirk said that. They think that any of us who believe that there uh, were problems with the election, that there should be some social services provided for us and that we should yes. be quarantined from thought society. Yes. All right, more with Cleta when we return. Stay tuned. Cleta Mitchell, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, to the surprise of exactly no one, Hallie, uh, the Supreme Court is not going to hear the last of the post-election lawsuits that were filed by President Trump. The court has turned down, you may recall, that big lawsuit filed by Texas. There was the uh, effort to stop counting late ballots in Pennsylvania. There was another Wisconsin case. There was a Pennsylvania case. And today the Supreme Court disposed unceremoniously with the last of these, another challenge from Wisconsin. So that clear as the deck. It was obvious the Supreme Court was not going to do anything about any of these because if it was going to, it would have taken these cases before Congress certified or rather counted the formally counted the Electoral College vote on January 6th. But this does clear the clear the uh, the decks, removes all the Trump cases from the document where he was utterly unsuccessful in all of these challenges, Hallie. Yeah, utterly unsuccessful would be a way to put it. That was uh, Peter Williams of NBC News. And uh, handily, the Supreme Court now will not hear that last case. Well, why should they? The election's over because 
uh, what they have refused to hear is going to affect future uh, elections. Uh, the whole issue of Mark Zuckerberg's money being poured into these states, that Wisconsin uh, suit was a lot about that, outside money coming in to work against uh, uh, a candidate. It was. It's appalling what happened, and not, but you know what, the Supreme Court can't bother to hear that because, you know, I'm not sure why. Uh, but Cleta Mitchell is our next guest. Cleta uh, is a, a political rock star in Washington, D.C. She's the gold standard, really, of conservative legal warriors. You may remember Cleta because she, uh, some of you will remember in this way, of all her accomplishments, you may have seen her defending uh, the Tea Party uh, back when the uh, the IRS came after them with a vengeance. Cleta was right there testifying before Congress, defending uh, people, all kinds of people. But uh, she's had decades of experience in law and politics. She's won so many awards. She's represented conservative groups, Republican groups. Uh, she has served the na- uh, represented the National Rifle Association before the Supreme Court. Uh, she is currently the chairman of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, which is really familiar to us because um, uh, J. Christian Adams is the founder of that. She's been selected for inclusion in the Washington, D.C. Super Lawyers list, and there's a reason for that. She's been a partner at Foley & Lardner in D.C. since... Um, June of 2001, and recently left, and the date is interesting, so just note it before we talk about it, uh, until January 2021. She was a partner with Foley and Lardner in Washington, D.C. Hey, Cleta, describe your life just briefly, if you can, before the 2020 presidential election. What were you doing with yourself? Before the 2020 presidential election? Well, I was yeah. representing a number of, of clients who were involved in... in um, Helping others get elected, such as Right Women PAC, uh, the House Freedom uh, Fund, Senate Conservatives Fund. I represent all of those. And then I represent a number of individual candidates and particularly have been involved, was involved in helping Senator Steve Daines in his reelection effort. The left and the Democrats got five separate lawsuits in Montana trying to change the election laws there successfully in, in many cases. So I was very heavily engaged in trying to um, do what I could to help. Uh, conservative candidates get elected in 2020. Well, what ha- what happened to make you get involved in that presidential election 2020? Did that happen before the actual election? Were you already working, or did you jump in afterwards? I had tried to, interestingly, Sandy, I had actually tried to uh, get the campaign, the Trump campaign, uh, to pay attention in May of 2019. I organized a, a meeting with, actually, with Christian Adams and Hans von Spakovsky, in which we met with the lawyers for the Trump campaign, and we laid out for them what the Democrats and their uh, left-wing allies were doing to try to change election laws all over the country by filing these lawsuits. And we we were trying to alert them to what was coming, and they didn't pay any attention, obviously. And then in August of uh, last year, I spoke with Mark Meadows, uh, at that time was Chief of Staff to President Trump at the White House, and I said, are you preparing for this post-election because it's going to make uh, Florida 2000 uh, look like, you know, nothing. That's going to be Florida 2000 on steroids, and we need to, you need to start getting ready and have lawyers ready to go, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I even talked to the president about it, but they ultimately didn't really do anything to prepare for the post-election. And so the day after the election, I was actually in Bozeman, Montana, uh, helping Senator Daines, and I was just literally in my car putting the GPS coordinates into my phone to find my way back to the airport to fly 
uh, back to the East Coast, and I got a call from Mark Meadows saying, where are you? I said, I'm in Bozeman. He said, can you go to Atlanta? So I ended up going to Atlanta at the request of Mark Meadows to try to uh, ascertain what was going on there, and it became apparent that there were a lot of irregularities in the election, and ultimately, um, we ended up, I, we were volunteers, I was a volunteer, I assembled volunteers, because the people who were being paid by the party and the Trump campaign were pretty useless, um, not really helping the president at all, and um, so we called ourselves Team Deplorable. And we put together we put together the data uh, showing how many illegal votes had been included in the certified result. And on December fourth, we filed an election contest pursuant to Georgia law, and filed it in state court. And I'll give you one little data point: the ultimate, uh, the third certified result. It kept changing, which I think is always curious. But the third certified result, the final one. The margin of, of difference between um, President Trump and Joe Biden in the final count was 11,000 is 11,779 votes, and we identified with the help of experts and looking at government records, both from the election office, the voter files, the postal service, uh, public records. These are all government records that we looked at, and. Um, and we were identified 18,325 people who voted in the election whose registrations were at a commercial address, a vacant lot, or a post office box. Now, that one data point, that one, 18,325 votes, is enough to overturn that election. And we had 33 separate categories of illegal votes. So... The remedy under Georgia law is to have a trial, an expedited hearing, and if you have, if you can establish there are more uh, irregularities or illegal votes than the margin of difference between the two candidates, the remedy under Georgia law is a new election. The problem is that we did not have a judge. We couldn't get a judge appointed for 30 days. There was no judge appointed until January the 4th. And by then, it was literally too late, and then there was no, no uh, challenge to the Georgia electors. Uh, Kelly Leffler, who was the, at that point the lame duck senator, having just lost the election the day before, um, she had pledged to object to the Georgia electors, and then about an hour before that was supposed to take place, she withdrew her objection, so we had no choice but to dismiss the lawsuit because the, the Republican establishment Attorney General, Secretary of State, et cetera, had said that they would come after the president and the campaign and the lawyers for millions of dollars if we didn't withdraw the suit. So we really had no choice but to try to settle it and withdraw it. But that's oh. in a nutshell. What okay. Uh, Cleta, uh, many people, people that you and I know mutually, who have defended Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, uh, while others of us have condemned him. He's been accused, how would I know, but he's been accused of not only covering up what happened, but also being complicit. And I would be interested to know what your opinion of that is, if you can share it. Well, I have nothing kind to say about Brad Raffensperger. Instead, what he should have done immediately was to, and what we tried repeatedly to get him to do, uh, was to, first of all, 
to do, conduct a statewide signature audit. But we had even shown him how you could do in, in 10 counties a random, uh, a, a significantly, a scientifically significant random sample of ballot applications and envelopes from mail-in ballots because the, the percentage of rejected absentee ballots had dropped precipitously, even though the mat with a massive increase of absentee ballots. So clearly there was something wrong there. We wrote a letter uh, a week after the election and said, here's how you can do this uh, signature audit. Then there are other, uh, they kept saying, because well, we, sh- we would say we have these records showing these illegal registrations. Those, that number of ballots should have been discarded. And the thing that he kept saying, he never, he said things like, well, we have a secret ballot in Georgia. So we can't do that because we don't know who those votes were cast for. Well, you know, that is such a stupid statement. I mean, every state has a secret ballot. But the election laws provide a way, a remedy, to remove certain ballots. You just remove the ballot. You just remove that number of votes. And then you see where you are. And he never would provide. he, He kept saying, well, we have records that show that your records are wrong. We'd say, fine. We'll bring our records to the table. You bring your records to the table. If we're wrong, we'll tell the world. But if you're wrong, you tell the world. And so he never, he was preening before the liberal press. They immediately wrote a puff piece about him, about how he was defending the election. And and plus he had done things before the election that were just total violations of the law. Um, He... Under Georgia law, you're not supposed to be able to apply to get an absentee ballot more than 160 days before the um, before the election for which you seek to vote by mail. He sent out in the spring the to everybody on the on the active voter list ballot, absentee ballot application, and included in that was a box to check if you wanted to get, uh, if you wanted to also get a, an absentee ballot for the general election, he sent those out for the primary, but he, he allowed people to apply for absentee ballots outside the statutory deadline. And that's almost 300,000 illegal absentee ballots right there. And so, and then you saw the, the videotape of the uh, people who were running that sham at, State Farm Arena on election night when they stopped the counting, made yes. everybody leave, and then started processing ballots again. And he told three different stories about that, none of which are true. And um, so I've been, I'm not very happy about him because I think that he, and the entire Republican establishment in Georgia, other than the state party chairman, David Schaefer, who's a good conservative, fought hard for the president. But, I, but the governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, attorney general, they, they, none of them, none of them did what I think they should have done, which was to protect the integrity of the Georgia election. Well, Cleta, of course, that's the story in Wisconsin. That was the story in Arizona. That was the story in Michigan. It was the Republicans who stopped the investigations. It was the Republicans who stood in the way, the Republican legislatures, and there were exceptions. But broadly speaking, that's what happened. So this is my next question for your perspective on this, because we know the Democrats were pulling out all the stops. We know the Democratic operatives were changing laws and Democratic judges. We know all of that. We know that um, Mark Zuckerberg spent millions in Georgia alone and other states 
uh, to register voters in uh, in blue areas. Uh, a blatant, uh, something we've never seen before that is, is a story all on its own. But the question for you is, so are we to conclude that the a Republican establishment and the never-Trumpers had a, were making a coordinated effort to stop Trump from being elected again. Can we say that, you think? Well, I, you know, look, Trump is a disruptive force, and that's why many of us support him and still support him, because he's a disruptive force, and he, um, he didn't just go along and do things the way that the Washington Republican establishment wanted him to do, and I think it drove them crazy. And I'm absolutely convinced that some of the key political uh, minds in Georgia, I can't speak to the other states because I was so focused on Georgia. I just know what happened there, and I know that those, those political, the political operatives who were advising all of the uh, political uh, elected officials in the state party I mean, the governor on down, they were saying behind the scenes, uh, don't, we need to distance ourselves. You need to distance yourself from President Trump. They thought, and this is what's so crazy, they thought, and still believe, by the way, that what needed to happen after the general election was that they needed to all pivot toward the January 5th runoff of those two U.S. Senate races. Well, number one, David Perdue should have thought she, he should have gotten a recount, demanded a recount, because there's no reason that he should even have been in a runoff. But they made the decision not to fight it and to distance themselves from our efforts to challenge the results of the presidential election. And I finally said to a whole big group of them, if you think that you can just pivot to the runoff, just be aware. I represent a lot of conservative organizations. This is what I tell them. I represent a lot of conservative organizations. I deal with the grassroots all the time. And if they do not see you walking barefoot across broken glass for this president, they're not going to come out and vote again. And they really believe that, it, that by our continuing to press the issues of the problems in the general election... Which I also told them they're going to the Democrats are going to do the same thing in January they did just did last Tuesday, and that's but exactly what happened. Talked. That's what yeah. they did, and they and, yeah. and our people didn't go back and vote. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And uh, and they were and uh, they blame President Trump for that. And by the way, yeah. uh, they said because he had en- he had endorsed that. Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. That's the reason it was their response to President. It was it's bizarre, Cleta. It's bizarre, well, and Paul we have Rose to. Wrote that in the Wall Street Journal, blaming our efforts. Yeah. Um, to, to get it right, put them on the reason they lost the round. Yeah, my, my guest is Cleta Mitchell, and we're going to come back. We have so much more to talk about. Don't go away. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Once that is complete, our office, continue our work to be transparent as possible, we'll be releasing the recount results online as quickly as possible. That is the great thing about our paper ballot system. It is auditable, it is recountable, and can provide 
voters the confidence that the outcomes are correct. Once this recount is complete, everyone in Georgia will be able to have even more confidence in the results of our elections. Despite the massive amounts of misinformation that is being spread by dishonest actors. There are those who are exploiting the emotions of many Trump supporters with fantastic claims, half-truths, misinformation, and frankly, they are misleading the president as well, apparently. There are two suits in federal court right now. One was already shot down and is being appealed. The other is just beginning. That is the due process afforded to us, all of us as Americans. All right. So that was the Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger. Just to remind you what he sounded like, Cleta Mitchell's my guest. She was uh, volunteering with uh, to try to do whatever she could to protect Georgia from the abuse of their voting laws, their their voter ID, the lack of that, uh, these mail-in ballots, people that were voting from places they didn't even live. Uh, she was working her heart out along with other friends that we've talked about before, and we also know what the result of that was. But, uh, Cleta, you just heard him say that some were upsetting Trump supporters with these fantastic claims. I guess he was talking about you, I'm thinking. What do you think? I actually don't think he was talking about me, but if he was, he's wrong. But I think he was really referring to Lynn Wood's lawsuit that was filed in federal court uh, pretty early on, uh, and it was dismissed. And then there was uh, a suit. I'm pretty sure that Sidney Powell also brought a suit in Georgia. Uh, There were some other... uh, random suits that were filed, uh, True the Vote filed one and then dismissed it. Um, we, we were a bit like the tortoise and the hare. I mean, we were the tortoise, and we were just going through and, and trying to identify specific votes and voters that were illegal and specific irregularities and filed our suit under uh, the provisions of the Georgia Election Code. Um, and so... I don't know when that particular, I think that particular uh, statement that you played by the Secretary of State was uh, was actually made prior to the time when we filed our election contest on December the 4th. All but there right. were a lot of other players and actors uh, who were filing things and claiming things. And honestly, I'll give you an example, Sandy. We we filed a 64-page petition with 8,500 pages of uh, witness affidavits signed under penalty of perjury, perjury uh, reports and records from the uh, public documents, publicly available documents that have been reviewed and attested to by experts, and they also filed under penalty of perjury. And, um, you know, we were trying to be very specific about what we were doing and how we were doing it. So we did not include a single reference to the Dominion voting machine or the software. That doesn't mean that we didn't have people who reported to us problems, and we had a lot of anecdotal uh, evidence and statements and stories, but we didn't have the resources. We didn't have expertise. We didn't have the ability to document that in a manner that we felt was sufficient to be able to put it into a pleading signed by an attorney. And, uh, you know, we, we felt that we wanted to be able to defend everything in the suit, either with, with some uh, 
factual or expert testimony. And we couldn't do that on the machine yeah. because we just didn't have that. So right. I think that that was a big disconnect between some of the things that some of the others were saying and filing and what we yeah. filed in the election contest. Oh, there were, as you said before, there were so many different areas of uh, voter chaos, confusion, uh, mischief. And so you right. guys were covering this one area. Cleta, you, let me go back to something you alluded to when we started the conversation. Um, you said that uh, you tried to go to the Trump attorneys and to the Trump himself and tell him that trouble was coming. This is way before the election because there weren't right. enough uh, 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 election attorneys on the Republican side that were being prepared for what was going to, the avalanche that was coming. And I remember being parts of those discussions. And I also remember that the Democrats had, had lawyered up, like, can you give us an idea of what kind of an army they had arrayed? Oh, it's it's impossible to describe, but I know that they had lawyers. They had dozens and dozens where they would have a thousand lawyers and some, States. I'm not kidding you. They they would people were traveling from across the country and being paid for not just by the Biden campaign, but by left wing groups. I mean, it's always hard to know with the Democrats where the party ends and all the left wing groups that have so much money and they devote enormous resources in this whole election uh, arena and. There literally were no lawyers prepared to battle, to do battle um, following the election uh, on the Republican side. You know, I'll never understand it, but they, you know, people would go, for instance, Christian Adams, uh, our friend Christian, talked about, I mean, he deployed some of the lawyers that work at the Public Interest Legal Foundation to monitor some areas in and around Detroit. And there were zero Republican lawyers. All of the all of the precincts had um, Democrat lawyers. You know, during the election, before, during, and after the election. And they and Christian, of course, this is a Christian organization. I'm the chairman. is a nonpartisan 5013. But just in monitoring, that's one of the observations, and that was replicated over and over again. And the RNC would claim that there were a thousand lawyers. And one of the people who was a volunteer lawyer for us in Georgia, who actually lives in Texas, Jackie Smith, she uh, was actually in Arizona. And when they were telling donors, when the RNC was telling donors, we have a thousand lawyers there, uh, Jackie was actually there. And she said, uh, no, you don't. Uh, there are four of us. So it's mm. that, so, I don't know, <laughs> it's just insane. Sanity. It was insanity, and and it was so. I wanted people to know. I mean, it's it was much deeper than the public ever knew. The preparation that the left made for this election, and so uh, Cleta, this is the the mystery to me. So, in spite of that, some lawyers did come out after the election took place, and all of the the chaos began to unfold. Uh, there were attorneys who were going to represent President Trump, and lo and behold. Out comes this massively long, threatening letter from a sign, uh, signed by, I don't remember the characters, but lots of different attorneys, threatening them if they did any work on behalf of Donald Trump. What can you say about that, and what was that all about? Well, it was part of the cancel culture. They, they literally, 
they did exactly what you said, and they threatened particularly the big law firms. And um, because the big law firms have, you know, they represent the big corporations, all the big left-wing corporations. And so there were these threats, and they focused in immediately after the election on Jones Day. Now, mind you, Jones Day has been paid millions of dollars by the Trump campaign over the years. Um, because Don McGahn was a partner there, then he became White House counsel, then he went back to by Jones Day. And Michael Carvin is a Supreme Court attorney who was representing the president in uh, a campaign in uh, a lawsuit which you made reference to, just got dismissed, but in that Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court case involving the state of Pennsylvania. And so Jones Day issued a statement saying, look, we're not doing anything with the post-election. We have this one case that's pending before the Supreme Court, and that's all we're doing. Well, that did not satisfy the, the screaming left-wing mob. And so Jones Day began to get all this pressure, and they ended up within about a day or two of that saying, well, we're withdrawing from that case. So, I mean, literally it was, they put us, the left put a kibosh on lawyers, and I think by by extension, it made judges very nervous because they see all of this mob attacking a lawyer saying, don't represent the president, don't represent the president's campaign. And so it made it really difficult for us to find counsel in Atlanta to, to, to put his or her name on the, the pleading. We were working on this election case before we had a lawyer that we could get to sign the, the petition as counsel to the president. Yeah, it was like a cancer and, that spread. I have to say, uh, let yeah, me just say, too, yeah. Cleta, you were a partner, again, at Foley and Lardner and had been since June of 2001, yeah. and pressure came on your law firm, and you ended up resigning. That was That's yeah. years you put in. You're a partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what so, they do, here's what they do, is they, they start attacking... They start going to the clients and getting uh, people to call uh, corporations and say, you know, so the the CEO and the general counsel of these companies are starting, they start getting phone calls, ugly, hateful, awful phone calls, demanding that the company fire Foley and Lardner as a, um, as counsel, unless they, do something about Cleta Mitchell. And, of course, these are people that, I don't know these people, but then, you know, these companies are starting to call my partners and saying, what is this? We're going to move our business. We can't, you know, we're not, in, we don't need this. And all of it happened. We had to shut down, the, the firm had to shut down its switchboards on Monday and Tuesday after, when they first started this. So that would have been, you know, right after January 4th and 5th and um, trying to, uh, because we, there were so many hate calls. You can't imagine the vile, obscene, horrible uh, emails and calls that I received. And I just made the decision, you know, that I didn't, I didn't want anything bad, really, to happen to my law firm. I've been there for 20 years. You know, my friends, my well, colleagues and partners are friends. And, you know, there are a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on uh, working there in probably 1,000, 1,200 people across the country, and I just thought, I'm not going to let these people have the satisfaction of doing uh, 
of inflicting serious damage to the law firm. So I just extricated myself and resigned um, because no single law firm, here's the thing, no individual law firm, because some people say, why didn't they stand up to this mob? The problem is no individual law firm can withstand that kind of pressure, that economic uh, pressure. And so what needs to happen, you know, where's the ABA? And for that matter, where's the Federalist Society? They haven't called. I'm a exactly. member of the Federalist Society. And I'm wondering why they are not stepping up. Why are the ABA and lead, leaders of all the law firms need to stick together and say, we're not going to let this happen. We're, you're not going to tell us who we can and cannot represent because there's a basic principle of American jurisprudence that everyone is entitled to counsel. That's what we're all, we've all been taught uh, you know, our whole lives, whether you're a lawyer or not a lawyer, that everybody in America is entitled to counsel. And I want to know where the leadership of the legal industry is. I want to know where the leadership of the corporate industry, the corporations are. I mean, how could they become part of this? But they all need to take a deep breath and say, this is not, um, this is un-American. We're not going to allow this to happen to us again. But in the meanwhile, and I have to tell you, you know, I just received today and, and yesterday from a colleague who was a volunteer lawyer in, um, Arizona, she's now had, because she signed something now, she's had a grievance filed against her with the Bar Association. I just received today a notice from the Oklahoma Bar Association, where I'm a, a member of the bar, um, saying that, you know, that this grievance has been filed by all these people. I've never heard of these people. Yes. I mean, I didn't Lita. represent them, but attacking me, because I yes. represented the president. Cleta, let me just, we, we have to... <laughs> We have to wrap up. Let me just say that I wanted people to know what a price you've paid. And still it continues, as you just said. Uh, so we've talked a lot about the, the individual pe- price people are paying uh, for courage that they've shown on various times, January 6th and other times. But attorneys have also paid a very high price. Not a lot of them. Not a lot of people have stood in spite of it. But Cleta is one of them. And I wanted you to hear her story, at least in part. Uh, and be in prayer for Cleta as she goes forward because I know she's not going to stop. I know her that well. Uh, she, Speaking of courage, she has it. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.